0: Happy happy Tuesday and welcome back everybody for another episode, if not, not when. And today, oh my God, I have such, such an honor to introduce you my special guest, Joe Merrill. And oh my God, Joe is someone really fascinating and let me tell you why. First of all, Joe started his career off as a diplomat. Wow. He had a chance to travel the world, meet tons of people, learn a different culture. And I believe he has so much compassionate to people. Is that is where it comes from. And from there, he moved into many management positions in the corporation, then decided to step into entrepreneurship. Uh, first, he started Pen and Education, the first branded online learning system. Then, Smart founded the first platform revolutionized the school fundraising program. And as you can tell, he truly is an innovator, an entrepreneur in heart, always first for everything. Today, he's a general partner of Sputnik ATX. He is really, really passionate about investing in business and really made this world a better place. And he is dedicated to leveraging his own startup experience. All the things that he learned from the good, the bad, everything in between, alongside with his passion to people and really to support entrepreneurs to help them reach their full potential, therefore making this world a better place. With that, oh my God, my friend, I am so, so, so excited. And thank you so much, Joe, for joining us. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. Uh, And thanks for the invitation to come when, oh, and I should say, Happy Chinese New Year this Friday, correct?
0: Yes! I'm going to do hop up this Friday. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Joe. You know, your journey is so diverse, so fascinating. So tell us, Joe, how does all the magic get
1: started? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say magic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I really, um, I, I, I went to college thinking I was going to be a doctor. And oh. I came out as a diplomat. And I think that the thing that kind of transformed that to me in many ways uh, was I developed a real love of economics. I was kind of a nerd growing up. I really loved science mm-hmm. and math. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was very uh, mathematically inclined.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I realized that, I mean, and I, I love people. I mean, I really love people. And I discovered economics was kind of the math of people. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a lot of different insights into the world and into just a lot of different things. And when I realized that there was like math of people, and as I got more involved in thinking about people's lives and how they lived, I became interested in in ways I could maybe make the world a better place. And that's what led to you know be, and becoming a US diplomat. Now mm-hmm. uh, it's really funny. I, I had a friend in college, Elizabeth who, She went to some State Department presentation and came out and said, oh, Joe, you should do this. And I I literally had, I mean, like it didn't occur to me that there was a career in diplomacy because I figured Mm -hmm. they were all political appointees. You see them on television and, you know, whatever. And, (laughs) And so I was like, oh, wow, like this is a career choice. And so I did. I went into the State Department. I passed the Foreign Service exam. I became an economic officer. And I got to. I got to kind of uh, do a whole bunch of different things. Now, by the time I'd entered the State Department, I'd already spent two years as a missionary for my church in Korea. I'd been an exchange student in Germany. And so I'd had quite a bit of exposure to different cultures in different places around the world and people who didn't look like me. I also think that growing up in my home, I also got those experiences with my family. Um, You know, my parents spent a lot of time um, serving in communities outside of, people who look like me. And some of my childhood memories were actually, you know, working with a lot of Southeast Asians in Oregon. I don't know if people remember the boat people that came over in the 1970s and early 80s from wow. Southeast Asia. And, you know, working with those immigrant communities was important with my parents. And, and so for me, I think that I, I grew up with this view that kind of, we all, we all have the same values. Yeah. And, I, and I was able to see that. Uh, and wherever I go, wherever I've lived, you know, people are people, and I think that I that. that we, you know, and, and I certainly think that as travel barriers come down, as younger generations travel more, see the world more, have more access to mm-hmm. and exposure to one another, you know, I think that that arc of world history towards peace and all and getting to get and getting along that continues to, to move in that direction with a few bumps along the way. And I, I just kind of feel like maybe I was a part of that. It, it, I, don't, I don't think I was a pioneer, that's for, that's for sure. But I certainly benefited from figuring out that's the arc and learning. And so I did. I got to go to a lot of places, do a lot of interesting things. Uh, I was in the State Department. A lot of the work I did in the State Department, I don't think I can still talk about. Um, but mm-hmm. I did a lot of work related to things like you know, the, the, the Dayton Peace Accords uh, and get, implementing the Dayton Peace Accords, the economic side agreements, um, you know, the work around Ploche and things like that, and uh, supporting uh, David DeLui uh, when he was running that office, doing, um, you know, just uh, going, to, to, going to Nigeria uh, when it was the military and handing over to a democracy, uh, working with their, at uh, an election, you know, and they'll, they, they, they switch to democratic government and training democratic leaders. Like we take for granted that people know how governments work, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people coming out of long military dictatorships, they don't know. And so meeting with elected members of the national assembly and, and really getting to know them and developing relationships with people that, I mean, I, I love those people. They're incredible and they love their country. Mm-hmm. And you know you just start to realize our values are the same right um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah spending a lot of time in korea uh i you know my chinese as you know is Buhao, but i i I do speak korean fluently uh and i speak german Um, oh wait no that's japanese i forgot my korean if you were about to say oh yes
0: <laughs> yes or well, I, I, I <laughs> sale, and mm-hmm. I only remember that when I go to a career grocery store, and usually the owner will be really happy when I hear me say that, but sorry <laughs> continue <laughs>
1: <laughs> and but yeah, i mean and, and so I do I, you know i I had kind of these uh, these experiences and i and I, I you know it's funny i I'll share a story that I think was very enlightening of what I'll call the old America to the new mm. America. Because I think America's kind of in this transition still between old America and new America and the older generation of people and the younger generation of people, if you will. Mm-hmm. When, when we were uh, in the State Department in our training, uh, they took our training class up to Capitol Hill. And we met with uh, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it was uh, Senator Jesse Helms, who was the chairman of the committee at the time. From North Carolina, and he was uh, pretty famous for being racist, and he was pretty powerful. Uh, he bragged about never having a U.S. passport, and you know, as a, as a diplomat, you have to be confirmed by the Senate, and the Senate aides will you know want to talk to you, and you know, it's it's a lot more streamlined and simpler for career people than for political appointees, but but you still have to be confirmed, and so you know, you go up there to meet with the staff. And when we went up there to meet with the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee staff, I think, you know, as a courtesy, they send some of the staff members out. They meet with you because it's kind of a fait accompli that they're going to let you through. Uh, it's not it's not like political appointees where it might be a little more controversial. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, you're up, We're up there and we're meeting with them. And this guy from Senator Helm's office comes out and he just starts literally saying to us, you know, you're not good Americans because you want to go overseas. And if you really loved America, you would never leave this country. You'd never even want to live in a foreign country. America is such an incredible place. It's so amazing that anyone who wants to leave it for any reason can't be trusted. And you love foreign things more than your own country. That's why you want to live there. And, you know, and so I think that all of you wanting to have a career representing the United States overseas, we can't trust you because you probably love foreign things more than America and you're traitors to America. Now, mind you, this wow. is like the staff of an elected official who, and by the way, Jesse Helms completely feels that way. Right. And he, you know, this, this guy, racist guy, who's never had a passport and he chairs the Senate foreign relations committee, like, like, what kind of bizarro land is that? Right. And yet there he is. And there's his staff members that have all the same bias and, and anger and kind of xenophobia and kind of creating a world of us and them. That is mm-hmm. a construct in their minds that they have created to give themselves political power. Right. To, to, it's, it's, it's this politics of fear mentality that if you get people afraid, it's easier to control them and make them do what you want. And so if you can scare people and vilify, you you need some kind of villain, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can vilify those foreigners, then you can get more people to vote for you and you can stay in the Senate longer. And these biases are are, are reinforced and handed down generation after generation. And here they are right in front of us with these officials. And in the middle of all of this, when this guy's dressing us down and talking about, how horrible we are, one of my classmates notices that the individual who's dressing us down is a graduated of like Johns Hopkins School of International Relations, which is a very prestigious school, to mm-hmm. uh, get a graduate degree from international relations, and it dawns upon him, so he raises his hand, and, and at some point the guy says, do any of you have any questions, like, mm-hmm. you know, do any of you losers have any questions, and it's kind of like a derisive way, and I can't remember, <laughs> how. it was very derisive. <laughs> And this guy raises his hand and he says, yes, what's your question? And he says to him, how many times he asks this guy the question, how many times did you fail the foreign service exam? And there was this moment where it was almost as though his conceit was exposed and he he had a look of embarrassment on his face because we were the state department. Was he going to say he hadn't taken it a million times? Of course he had. He wanted our job and he didn't pass the foreign service exam and he ended up working at the Hill. Which is totally a fine thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but but after having him tell us how awful we were for being wanting to be former <laughs> officers, it kind of exposed the conceit. And, and then he went into this diatribe about how you know, he, he actually pulled out of his pocket. Like he didn't even answer the question. He just reached and pulled out of his pocket a copy of the Federalist Papers. Like, who carries the Federalist Papers? Like, I have in my hand a copy of the the founding documents of the United States, the constitution, the declaration of independence and oh, the federalist papers. How many of you do? And like, uh, yeah, like I'm just whipping out my federalist papers all the time. <laughs> and he goes, that's because none of you love America. And, oh, you know, my goodness. and, and I think that, that that's the contrast. Like, like there's, there's people who are trying to um, rule by fear and there's people who want to rule with hope and faith and unity. The idea of E pluribus unum right from many one and i think that the arc of human history is about small communities becoming bigger communities now becoming global communities mm-hmm. where we can do more together mm-hmm. have more prosperous lives and we're safer mm-hmm. and that old mentality of fear i think that's going away slowly but surely and, and you know there's people who will tell you with trump and all this stuff that, that oh no this is really changing and i completely disagree I feel like the Trump administration has exposed how petty, small, and marginalized the people who behave this way are, mm-hmm. and the increasing lengths, like QAnon, and these things that they have to go to to justify kind of the um, that 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 view of making people different. Because the reality is, we're not different. We're the same. And I think I that. Love that. Yeah, and you learn that in business, right? As you do more and more business, you realize that you know we have the same values, we want the same things, and we may have differences in tastes and preferences, but at the end of the day, we want to be loved, we want to be appreciated, we want to be recognized for the work that we do. Um, you know, to some extent, like we want to be valued, and those are the things that matter the most. And so, I think over the course of my career, that's kind of what's defined me is mm-hmm. my, my desire to help and serve other people and to make the world a better place. That's why I went mm-hmm. into the State Department. That's why I left the State Department. <laughs> I left the State Department because the United States started torturing people, which I think is really uncool and is Gosh. terrible policy. It, it is a stain on our nation. And uh, we'll be we remembered that way. you know. And, and, uh, and, and it's something that we're better than that. And, you know, and uh, I went into uh, entrepreneurship and business
0: so tell us about that. Do you always knew you want to be entrepreneurs or did that just happen to
1: happen? You know, I mean, I think growing up as a kid, I, I always thought I would be a lawyer or something like that. My mother was a lawyer. And I think that, you know, as you get older, you get exposed to more things and different ideas. And to me, I don't know. It seems to me as though all all careers, if your goal is to make the world a better place, all careers end up being very similar. We're doing we're doing different things to accomplish the same goal. Mm-hmm. I think the difference is being mission-driven or mercenary. And the mercenaries are people who, I mean, they don't care about other people. They're just asking, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. Right. And if your focus is what's in it f- for me, you're gonna have a pretty miserable life. <laughs> if your goal is how can I uplift and raise everybody around me? And how can we all be better? You just get more done. You can build something because you trust people. You mm-hmm. learn how to build um, organizations and have accountability to, to create cultures that empower people to be successful and to do their best work. Mm-hmm. And that's what ends up, that's what happens. And that is that abundance mentality of, um, you know, out of many, one. And, and that is politics, business, law, whatever you're doing, diplomacy. That's mm-hmm. what it really comes down to. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. you're just doing different flavors of that formula and you may not realize it. So, you know, whether you're building tractors for John Deere, which is helping farmers feed the world, mm-hmm. right? Better at it. And making their farms more efficient and giving them better economic and, and, and financial stability because you're making a machine that helps them you know, maximize and utilize their land better than anything else. Mm-hmm. You know, again, you're making the world a better place. You're, you're seeing your purpose in the greater context. And then, you know, you, you could go to a Carlisle fund. And now it's about, you know, investing in systems and people that are giving people the education and the tools they need to be their best. You know, um, we, we uh, you know, Oksana and I, you know, we, we have a university in Washington, D.C., the University of the Potomac. And a part of that university's mission is to make education affordable and accessible, like incredible education. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want, we don't want people to get a crappy education. We want them to get an amazing education. Mm-hmm. We want an education that leads to spectacular career outcomes for them and, and enjoy for their family. It helps them to reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. And that kind of leads to what I'm doing now because with uh, Sputnik ATX, with our company uh, today, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I, I'm actually sitting right next to me. Uh, we were talking about this in our staff meeting this morning. Uh, I kind of have our like our mission. You know, like who we are, and um, and it just says like like at our core, but um, ATX, which is and we're we're a VC fund, right? We we invest in startups and we run an accelerator program uh, to try and you know we joke that we teach nerds business. We're looking for maker founders, and we can teach them the business side, right? And at our core. We just say that Sputnik ATX relentlessly strives to help everyone reach their full potential.
0: Joe, why this is important to you? Because I think throughout your career, multiple different conjunction, this is coming up over and over again.
1: I think ultimately, so it's what it's makes me happy. Is that when I see people reach their full potential, it brings a joy that is better than anything else that you can ever experience. I, you know, I, I, I think I've seen this with my own children. Um, my relationship with my wife, that, you know, reaching the full potential of a relationship, of an opportunity, of, of all of these things is really important. It matters a lot. You know, uh, you know, my youngest daughter, she decided late in the college application process that she really wanted to go to the University of Hawaii. Wow. And, and given her personality and her interests, I could see that that was really important for, for, for who she wants to be for the person she envisions herself becoming Mm -hmm. that that would play an important role in her life. Mm -hmm. And so of course I'll do anything to make that possible because Mm -hmm. as she thinks about her full potential and who she wants to be, that's Mm -hmm. a part of it. And again, it makes me happy and it brings me the greatest fulfillment to help others to be able to do that.
0: Do you always know? Or how do you find out along the journey that you find out this is what you meant to be?
1: Oh boy, I, I don't know if people are meant to be anything. I think mm-hmm. we get to choose. It's, we all get to choose. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've seen people who they grew up in investment banking families, they became investment bankers, they were miserable, they <laughs> quit their jobs, and they, became, and they became writers because they loved writing. Mm -hmm. And they weren't very good at it. They kind of stunk at it when they first started, but they, yeah, but they kept working at it Mm -hmm. and have been able to make a living doing it now. Mm -hmm. And, and I've seen it the other way too. I've seen, you know, Pulitzer prize winning journalist friends go into business, right. Mm -hmm. Um, That they enjoyed the business side more. And again, it's your choice. It's your choice. You get to you get to decide for you what's best for you, mm-hmm. and we all kind of have these gating factors that prevent us from doing that. Sometimes they're external, and sometimes they're internal to to us. We have anxieties or fears, or we're afraid of failure. And you know, it's funny. Um, we you know, we have uh, Lorna Johnson, who's an ex Olympian, is uh, one of her, her current company, uh, uh, Crib Crib MD, is in our uh, our accelerator program right now. Wow. And she said this thing yesterday in, in class, we were talking about what is swagger. Right. And, uh, she said something, you know, she talked about athletes and kind of the composure that you have when you come to, you know, anything you do. And she said, you know, you have to go in, you go in without a fear of failure. And I think for so many people, the fear of failure holds them back. And so Helping people to to overcome a fear of failure, mm-hmm. to, to make a goal, to break it down to the steps needed to attain it, mm-hmm. and to see them overcome those fears through hard work, accountability, determination, and grit mm-hmm. is just unbelievably rewarding. And, um, so, it, yeah, there's nothing like it.
0: I love that you know, Joe. You talk about fear of failure among all mm-hmm. other things, or potentially holding people back. So let's talk about it. Do you ever, maybe early in your career, ever fear of failure, or do you? How are you able to overcome that in the beginning? What is your
1: journey? I don't know if I am. I don't know if I'm afraid of failure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that I'm afraid that. Uh, to be frank, I think the thing I fear is that I wouldn't learn from something. That, to, you know, to me, I actually don't even like the word failure because failure implies some type of a, um, a, like, like, like that. a break, right? Like something, mm-hmm. something broke, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and what failure is in fact, is like the best learning experience you can ever have. And failure can be really painful, right? Mm-hmm. Failure can be really painful. And so, you know, when you fail, you feel like, um, you know, it hurts and it, and it should hurt. Failure should hurt. Right. Because it's that, it's that awkwardness. It's the emotional, uh, the emotional fact that you were invested in something that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Right. That is, that is what then can motivate you to learn from it so Mm -hmm. that you don't repeat that. Don't do that again. And, you know, Failure is just a part of the learning process, mm-hmm. and so to me, you know, I'm not afraid of failure because I think that when I fail, I'm accelerating my learning. Mm-hmm. And I, I look at where I have failed um, personally and professionally in my life, and those were the times of the most intense personal growth. Wow! And so I think the thing that the thing that I fear the most mm-hmm. is probably that I'll stop learning. And I think that you know, vanity, um, arrogance, those things all prevent us from learning mm-hmm. and so to the extent that that we can kind of get over our fear of failure and get out of our own heads if you will mm-hmm. and just push forward and learn from every experience mm-hmm. then I think that we make better decisions over time mm-hmm. and you know we, we connect better with the people around us and our lives become more enriched and better for for everybody
0: and you know speaking of failure or well, learning experience I'm curious you know during your entrepreneur journey do you have one or two a biggest learning experience that you can share with us, and how do you kind of pivot from there to us a growth opportunity to help you become who you are today?
1: You know, if, if for entrepreneurship specifically, the number one thing I'm gonna I will say is um, first time founders generally focus on product. Mm. Second time founders focus on sales. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And uh, making something people want is really important. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the thing you learn pretty quickly from entrepreneurship is that if people aren't willing to pay you for the thing that you're making, then you're making the wrong thing. You know, capitalism is amazing. Like, I don't understand this talk of socialism. Like, why, why anyone wants to give the government, like the most incompetent people we know, Power over everything, like that, just blows my mind. But at any rate, um, you know, like yeah, give the least competent people the most power. That's a great idea because they do such a great job with everything else they're doing, you know, whatever. But at any rate, ouch, you know, in capitalism, right? We know when things don't work because no one is willing to pay for it. And I, I, I am a huge believer in market failure. I do believe the role of government is to fix market failure right? In economics where, where the traditional economics of supply and demand don't work, that is a hundred percent where government can play a role, but for 90% of the economy, that's not the case. Right. And I just think, you know, as an early entrepreneur, spend a lot of time with customers, solve their problems, Mm -hmm. solve their problems in a big way, solve their problems in a unbelievable way, make their wildest dreams come true. And if you do, then they'll pay you for it. And if they're unwilling to do that, don't quit your day job.
0: I love that. That's incredible, Joe. What a insightful advice. So thank you for that. Um, I'm curious. Of course, you are today, you know, have so many journey. You are just such an incredible, successful businessman in, you know, in Austin, in the entrepreneur world. I'm curious, what is, you know, besides from failure, what is the hardest thing that you personally have to overcome, have to do to become who you are today? Whether it's personally, professionally, I'm just curious. because you know, you know, I don't want to make people feel like, oh my God, everything you know. is just go and sunshine, everything is just perfect. I travel and they're from here, right? You have so much more challenges you overcome.
1: One of the hardest things to do, especially if you're an entrepreneur, is your family because Mm -hmm. startups, startups consume you. They consume your life. You you know, if you have a company like Pan Am Education, you're talking to Chinese businesses, you know, going late into the night, right? And then you have Turkish companies wanting to call you early in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then you have to work with your teachers all day. Mm -hmm. And, and, and startups have to be that way. Like They have to be consuming because you're, you're inefficient when you start a startup. You're, you're not at scale, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the efficiencies of scale. Everybody has to put in long hours. Everyone has to be committed to the mission of the company. And when you have to put in those kinds of long hours and that kind of a time, you know, it can be really hard to manage your relationships with your family. And so I would, I would say that you know, that's probably the hardest thing to do. I think I had a, oh, you know, my, my wife was very supportive um, of me starting companies, but I think we were both naive about what that would demand. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the thing I've learned the most is just to really invest in those relationships with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the extent your family can even get involved with and help you, to, that mm-hmm. you do it. Um, you know, I, I have had both my daughters work with me in the fund and that's been so rewarding. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, Emma is working in the fund right now and it's really cool to be on a call and, you know, do what I do. And, you know, cause she can, well, one, she sees what her dad does for a living, right? Uh, She's learning, uh, and she's learning about people and entrepreneurship and all of these things, which is important for her own development. But it gives you just more in common, more to talk about. It, it deepens your connections with your family. It's beautiful. There, there's kind of this, it's interesting. A lot of VCs won't invest in husband-wife founders. And the what? reason why is that, well, because quite frankly, in almost 100% of startups that make it to becoming a unicorn, one founder at some point has to fire the other. And you can't fire your spouse, right? And then divorces where equity is concerned get really messy, really fast. And you know they just don't wanna get involved in that and they think it's toxic. But really good research from Harvard and the University of Chicago um, have shown that that's actually just not true, that husband-wife teams can be a lot more efficient, particularly in early stage. Mm-hmm. And if they manage that expectation, if they know that one of us will have to fire the other and they're mm-hmm. talking about it and they have good communication, then that transition can be really smooth and it doesn't have to end the marriage or the company. And I think that that's a kind of, that's this, this evidence that um, if you have a good relationship and you focus on your family, you can still be an entrepreneur. You can, have, you can just have a tremendous business with your mm-hmm. spouse and your family mm-hmm. helping you. And you don't have to necessarily sacrifice your family relationships to be able to build some billion dollar company. It just requires great communication, clearly knowing upfront what the limitations are Mm -hmm. and managing expectations with love and compassion for each other. And if you can do that, then you can make it work.
0: Love and compassion always wins. Um, And Joe, I wanted to unpack your journey a little bit more. So you know, transition from um, diplomat to entrepreneur, and then how do you from there go to school at ATS? Yeah.
1: So if you ever really want to have the most miserable years of your life, start a company, um, it is hard. It is so mind-numbingly, just brutally difficult. You're going you're gonna to get sued. You're going to get frivolous <laughs> lawsuits, right? You get frivolous <laughs> lawsuits. Um, people will accu- like, like, like people will accuse you of crazy things. Uh, you, you're you're going to have somebody who puts faith in you and says, here's 3 million dollars, right? Mm-hmm. at some point. and they're trusting you with 3 million dollars, right? and 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 are you going to spend that money wisely and are you going to are you going to do everything in your power to get them a good return on their investment, right? Mm-hmm. and that is that's that's you know there's a lot of trust there and there's a lot of pressure to perform. and again, you're going to work really long hours. it's not this glamorous thing that people make it out to be. It really bothers me, in fact, when I see politicians especially being harsh on successful entrepreneurs because they have no idea the sacrifices you make for the first three to five years of any company to get it off the ground. It is, it is brutal. And so, you know, I, I went into entrepreneurship kind of um, open, like doe-eyed like many people. Um, I, I ran that company for, for years and years uh, and we exited... Uh, Pan Am, it was really hard. It was super brutal. And after the company was sold, I, I mean, you think, wow, that was, you know, do I want to do that again? And of course I went and did it right again. Um, but I, I just, I think that um, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It is for, for, for folks who enjoy the road less traveled. If you're the kind of person that doesn't want to hike on the trail in the valley. Uh, you prefer the vistas, even though they're harder to, to, to hike those higher trails. If you're the kind of person that when you play a game of basketball and you get fouled, your shooting percentage goes up because you're just going to make the basket if you get fouled. If that's who you are, then you'd be great at entrepreneurship. And I think that it's a, it's a preference. I don't think you're a bad person if you don't want to be an entrepreneur and you prefer working in government or corporate or something else. I don't, I don't think that makes you a bad person by any stretch of the imagination. It's like, do you like chocolate or do you like vanilla kind of a thing? (laughs) And I just, um, I am that person. I am the person that if I'm playing basketball and you follow me, I'm going to make the freaking basket. Um, right. I, I may not win the race. Okay. But I will be the person who passes out getting to the, to the finish line, the fastest I possibly can. And I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I will study everybody under the table. Does that make sense? Wow. And and I think that um, those can be be strengths at times and those can be weaknesses at different times in your life. And for persons where those are their strengths, then entrepreneurship, I think you have a higher probability of finding satisfaction from it. Mm -hmm. I think that um, it's perfectly okay if you're the person who wants to, you know, not pass out at the finish line. Like that's (laughs) that's virtuous too, uh, in its own way. And, and so, yeah, just know who you are, know what you want to do for me, uh, entrepreneurship works. And in a way, you know, Sputnik ATX is a startup too. And so it's kind of like, I guess it's my third startup, right? Because we're, Mm -hmm. we're starting this accelerator and this VC fund, we're specifically trying to target companies in Texas or moving to Texas. We've been doing this for, for several years now mm-hmm. and it's its own startup, right? We're, we're doing what startup companies do. We're grinding and, and hustling and putting in long hours and, you know, trying to serve and help these entrepreneurs as best we can uh, because at the end of the day, their success is our success.
0: I love that, Joe. And today we talk a lot about success and also a learning journey along the way. I'm curious, Joe, today, what is a success definition for you? And by that, do you think you are successful?
1: I'm happy and that's successful. And if you're happy, you're successful. I, I just, I don't care who you are, what you do, where you live, how much money you have in the bank. If you're mm-hmm. happy, you're successful. And I'm, I'm happy. I, I think that I have a very privileged life. I get to go to work with an incredible business partner Mm -hmm. and Oksana Malasheva, my business partner is one of, she is one of the most incredible human beings and her her story is amazing. And I I get the privilege of working with her every day. I come home. um, My wife is, she's amazing. She's a professional therapist. She turns people's lives around when they have no hope and, and, and they feel void. She is the person that is there to, to, to pick them back up and to get them back on their feet and to help people to learn to stand and run on their own. Mm -hmm. My, my kids are incredible. All of my kids are just doing incredible things. And so I look at my life and I think, wow, I I've got a pretty good life. And that, and that's not to say that, you know, I don't have a lot of challenges in my life. Oh, I a hundred percent do. You know, we all have like the the crazy cousin Eddie, so to speak. <laughs> you know what I mean? um, but at the same time, those things make the, the good things even sweeter. And so it, it just makes life fantastic. And yeah, I'm happy. And if you're happy, you're successful. So yeah, I would say success is is a function of happiness, period.
0: I love that. I am not probably the best answer I ever get whenever I ask this question. And Joe, as you answer that, I'm just I'm just curious, what made you so humble I always have such a great perspective in life? You're just so, like such a heart center. you just really a, just a great human being. Like I know yeah. I, I my words to describe you. Why? What made you
1: this way? Um, I I don't think of myself that way. And I don't know, maybe that's the answer to the question. Um, I don't think of myself that way. I think that every human being I meet has incredible value, almost mm-hmm. limitless potential. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that maybe, maybe that's the only way I can answer the question is that, you know, everybody I meet has a story. Uh, they all have just incredible potential. They, they all have something amazing. And, and you know, I think my, my goal is to be really good at helping people to let that light shine.
0: I think I know the answer, but I do want to ask you, Joe. Today, you are so successful. You truly are, you know, doing exactly who you meant to be. You are maximizing your, not only your own potential, but you're really helping, supporting the whole community, lifting everybody, shining so much light to this whole universe. I think it's just so, so, so beautiful what you do. I'm curious, you know, my last question really is um, what inspired you today? What, what, what continues to make you happy today? You are already this incredible. No.
1: I'm hoping that someone is listening right now and they're saying to themselves, you know what? I'm going to be the light for others. And that, and I hope that, um, the people listening right now will say, you know what? I'm going to be that light. You know, everybody wants an amazing friend. Well, Mm -hmm. stop wanting an amazing friend and start being the amazing friend, because if you become that amazing friend, if you become that light,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You just there's just there's a joy to that that you cannot imagine, and so I guess my hope is that someone listening to this right now is going to say, you know what, that's the life I want for myself. I am going to make other people's lives amazing, and you know I'm not saying you don't have to have appropriate boundaries because heaven knows there's some people out there who are sociopaths, but <laughs> but you know what, you you just work to make other people's lives incredible. And 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 that's within your power. And if you do, I just hope somebody listening will make that choice today, and we'll have more people shining, more light, lifting more people up, and that we as a as humanity can just come together and again reach our full potential, which we can only do together.
0: And I often tell people, my definition is one plus one equals three. So when we all come together, we are greater all together. I love that. And Joe, I do want to.
1: I'm going to tell you when you got your math wrong because it's one plus one plus one plus one. And I could keep going is infinity. That Mm. three is too limiting.
0: I love that.
1: Three is for losers. Okay. (laughs) Infinity. It's that one plus one dot, dot, dot equals infinity. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going for here. We're going for the infinite ability for humans to be freaking amazing.
0: Wow. Oh my God, Joe, that is just so beautiful. And I'm just curious, you know, do you have one last advice for other entrepreneurs, for aspiring entrepreneurs who are listening today and get so fired up, so excited about what you said? You know, do you have any advice for her, for her or him in terms of you know really in the grind and really live the full potential and be the light for the customer, for their you know spouses, for the you know incredible community they are building? What would you say is your last thing you want to share?
1: Go and just do something incredible to help another human being today.
0: Drop the mind! Oh my God, Joe, you are just so, so, so beyond incredible. This is really true, Mama. I am just so honored you are here. You're just such an incredible, heart-centered human being, businessman, serious entrepreneur, all those hats you are wearing, but really, you're just such a kind, wonderful human being for this entire world. So I really wanna honor you, wanna thank you for being the light for so many of us. And, you know, I felt so honored to come past, come across your life. And I felt my life has been lifted because of you.
1: Right you back also. at you, man. Right back at you.
0: <laughs> so I want to thank you. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Really appreciate you. And be the light. Go make the world a better place. And I will see you guys next time. Bye!